Welcome to Get Your Head Back in the Game. This is a podcast about the amazing human spirit to overcome setbacks and stories to inspire you to get your head back in the game. My name is Melissa Ross. I am a mother, a wife, a sibling, a former professional cyclist, a cycling coach, and a serial entrepreneur. I am a traumatic brain injury warrior. I have lost everything and have fought my way back step by step. And I invite you to do the same. So get ready to join me for this wild ride. Hello and welcome to Get Your Head Back in the Game. My name is Melissa Ross. And today I'm very excited to be talking with Sherry Bookstaff. She is a marine biology professor of many, many years and also a brain tumor survivor. She had a devastating stroke that um, also had the removal of a benign tumor, tumor that was 17 years ago. And um, this has helped her learn how to restructure her life and um and so she's she's got a really cool message today to talk about um how empathy really impacts the quality and outcomes of care for patients and um we're going to learn a bit more about her story <clears throat> and um and so sherry i'd like to hand it over to you thank you melissa i appreciate you having me here today um, so just to start with this, as Melissa said, yes, I'm, I've been a marine biology professor for over 30 years at a community college here near San Francisco. And about 17 years ago, out of the blue, I just started getting dizzy and nauseous. And I went to the doctor. It took three months of going to the doctor, having them tell me that nothing's wrong. You just start, you know, you're dizzy. It'll go away until they finally did an MRI and found a pretty big, big tumor. It was about 25 millimeters. So it was like the size of a golf ball, you know, pressing on my brain. And that accounted for all of my symptoms. Wow. So they said I had to have it removed. They said that it was benign, so it was not cancerous. But, and they said that it would be uh, an easy operation. They actually used the word routine to describe my brain surgery, which was going to be 13 hours long. They use the word routine. Yes, I see your face. <laughs> they use wow. the word routine. <laughs> and um, with something, and they said I'd be in the hospital for five to seven days, come home, and there would be no lasting effects. I wouldn't need therapy or anything. I'd be able to go back to work. Well, this longer story, to make it a little bit shorter, is that instead of five to seven days, I was in the hospital for 246 days oh, wow. because I had a stroke that oh, they wow. said they'd prevent. So the stroke really took me back to, you know, square one. I wasn't able to eat, move, talk, sit up. And, you know, wasn't able to control any part of my body for months. And, you know, that I really had to relearn everything. You know, relearning how to blink, relearning how to swallow. You never think about those muscles that are involved in swallowing. And right. it's like you need to learn it as an adult. So, you know, that's. Those instinctive things that I had to relearn how to do. And I finally came home almost nine months later. And, you know, and one, th one of the things they had told me is that 
with brain injuries, you don't really improve after a year. And after a year, I was still walking only with a walker and, you know, couldn't really talk at all, didn't have much stamina. And now 17 years later, I'm walking, you know, everywhere. I do a CrossFit Zoom class every every morning and I, you know, I'm pretty active. Yeah. And so definitely I improved after a year. And I think that what I think is that doctors telling patients that gets it in their head to stop trying after a year. Right. And if you stop trying, you're going to stop improving. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure I get that out there that if you ever have any kind of injury, I mean, if people can learn to play golf and improve their golf game after they're 50 years old, you know, like that's the same thing. Brain injury is just your brain forming new pathways. And that's what learning a new a new skill is. So if you can learn new skills, you can improve your brain. Yeah. Wow. Um, so first first lesson, improve your brain and then never stop. Yeah. Wow. So did the stroke was the stroke right after the surgery happened? Like you were at the hospital that yes. time? According to the surgeon, it was after the surgery. <laughs> And wow. what happened though is I was not able to be actuated. So I could not breathe on my own. Oh, no. Had to learn that too. Had to have a trach tube put in, had to learn how to breathe with a trach tube. Oh, wow. So, you know, I wasn't able, not able to breathe. So I was in ICU for about three and a half weeks. Yeah. Until I could breathe. And then I went to the, a regular room and oh. bounced around the hospital a bit. And then went to rehab hospitals yeah. for the rest of it. But, yeah, never came out of the surgery. Yeah. Puppy, so. Wow, that's scary. But you're here. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. And, and it, you know, got through it. It wasn't fun, but I got through it. Yeah. I do it again, but I got through it. Yeah. And you, I saw, Um, you have children. How old were your children when? My, my kids were eight and 12. Oh, wow. So I, had just, I had just gotten divorced. So I was a single mom with them. They were in fourth grade and seventh grade. So to put that into perspective, you know, those whole weird school years, I don't remember anything about them. Yeah. I was in the hospital those whole school years. Wow. So they were, and now they're, got 30 and 26, not they're old, but now they're, now they're 30 and 26, they're eight and 12. Wow. So yeah, and they're both, they both went to college and became, you know, work and work in, in, in the science field. Yeah. So they both came out of it okay. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a struggle. Gosh, yeah, that had to be all of us. Really hard yeah. on their family. Um now when you were in the hospital, is that, you know, like when you started thinking about empathy because I can imagine you were interacting <laughs> with a lot of people every day. Right, right. The problem when I was in the, in the hospital is that I could barely communicate like I couldn't speak I couldn't move so yeah. a lot of it was you know one-way communication and a lot of, of healthcare professionals didn't talk directly to me yeah because I couldn't answer back hmm. and that's you know another misconception is that I could understand them I could understand everything that was going on I actually wrote a book about my whole experience and a lot of things that are in that book are things that happened when I was not able to communicate back yeah so you know I was not able to communicate so a lot of it was and and some of the healthcare professionals were not all that nice to me 
So I was trying to get, you know, I just wanted them to be nicer to me. Right. Like I remember once I had, I asked my sister to buy them all pizza <laughs> that they would, you know, I remember that. And yeah, you know, I could barely, I couldn't speak, but somehow I, I got that message to her. I think I wrote, I wrote things down, but you know, I wanted them to be nicer to me. And it wasn't until later that I thought they should have been nicer to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I had this whole idea of, of empathy. Yeah. That they should have exhibited more empathy. Right. Um, now you also talk a little bit about, um, how, you know, football and whales are related is. Right. Football and whales. Well, let me talk about whales first, because I'm a marine biologist specializing in whales. So in, in one of my rehab hospital rooms, I had on the wall of my room, a poster of whales. So one of the speech therapists would come into that room and instead of having me read random words on a card, she would have me recite the names of the whales on that poster. Oh. So I would have to, I would have to say the common names, like you know, gray whale, humpback whale, blue whale. And then she would point to them again and make me say the scientific names. Estrictus robustus, balenoptera musculus, um, megaopteranobia angli. You don't know if I'm saying them right. She didn't know if I was saying them right. But what that did do is that obviously works all of the muscles you need to talk. But it also gave me hope because I'd one day be back to being a marine biologist. You know, it made me realize that I remembered all the names of those whales. Yeah. And that really gave me, gave me a connection to my world outside of being a patient right. in the hospital. So she's one of my favorite stories of really exhibiting empathy and using you know, using my passion to enhance my my rehab. And yeah. that's that was key. You know, that just gave me so much. Football comes in a little bit differently because I've always, since I moved to California in 1986, I've been a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. And my favorite quarterback was always um, Steve Young. He's always not behind me anymore. But I had a picture of him, a big picture of him behind me. So I met him several times. One of my favorite stories of meeting him was he was the um, grand marshal of a parade near my near near the town where I live, and I went to this parade hoping to meet him again. And I was wearing his jersey. I was sitting in a wheelchair. We were near the end of the parade route, so that we, I figured he had to get off the truck at some point, you know. And we were hoping to to catch him to say hi. Well, he was on the truck as the Grand Marshal of a parade, saw me sitting on the sidelines in his jersey, and he literally jumped off of the truck and came over to me inside my jersey. Aww. So that was, I mean, God, that really, you know, I talk in my book about having cranberries, which are little, little sweet things that kind of get you through the day. That's one that's going to last forever. That was a long time ago, and I, you know, yeah. I remember like it was yesterday. That was a huge, huge moment for me. Yeah. So that's one way that football, another another way that football really helped too is that, you know, one day, I mean, I had been, obviously I had bad, dark moments too. And I was thinking one day of throwing in the towel. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. Yeah. And then I was like, and then my train of thought went to even, you know, football players take a knee at the end of the game. 
But then my thought process went, um, wait, football players only do that if they're winning. When they're losing, they keep on throwing the ball, you know, hoping for at least some progress. Yeah. And that, that realization got me into keeping on trying too. Yeah. So the realization that you don't give up right. when you're behind. You yeah. keep going. Even if it's to go in football, maybe it's to go to get them up in the next game. They know they're not going to win this game. You don't give up. You keep going. Yeah. And that's, that's where football really got in, played a part in, in keep in a, keep me in a mental state where I can keep on trying. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so, Good. so I like football. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. And that's really cool how he came and signed your jersey and saw you and oh, that was awesome yeah yeah I'm sure that was really special um do you uh want to talk a little bit about um you have your own little program where you try to help people um learn about how to show empathy and right how to show empathy right yeah as a healthcare professional right well two programs that I'm involved with and I found in one is called Lifetime of Impact, and that can be found at lifetimeofimpact.com. And that one is where I go into into schools, like you know, colleges, healthcare colleges, and talk to school group to classrooms full of students about how they can connect with their patients and show empathy to their patients. Impact of Empathy is a a business where I'm going in and talking to either bigger programs of students or non even the non-medical side of it. So talk to, I've talked to student leaders about how to lead with empathy. I've talked to student groups about how to stay positive with empathy because always everybody always says, well, you got to be positive. And that's great and really important, but how? You right. know, so how to be positive in times of not even tragedy, but just any kind of darkness or any kind of love is that yeah. in your, your life. How do you work through it and stay positive in the midst of that? Yeah. So the, the so the impact of empathy is really empathy in every situation. You know, I think that all. I think that anybody who works at a hospital should be trained in how to exhibit empathy. You know, I'd like this to be part of onboarding programs of hospitals. So yeah. I'm trying to get into, into local hospitals and be part of their onboarding program. Because um, really anybody who has any contact with any patient in a hospital, whether it's the, you know, whether it's an actual a doctor or medical professional who's doing something invasive to you, or even the guy who takes the money for parking, I mean, they are still interacting with patients. Yeah. And, you know, and exhibiting everything is going to change the, your your patient's outlook and change their their outcome by changing their outlook. Right. So, so I really do think that empathy is critically important in everybody who works in a hospital. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are some of the things that you know are key points? I guess that you you help point out to people, or that maybe some of your students or have an aha moment, like, oh. <laughs> right. Well, I've heard, because I ran into some students who heard my talk a year ago or a couple years ago. And one thing that they really took away is that people who are not responsive to you, 
like patients who are not responsive can still hear you. And they remembered that and they used that when they were with patients who were not responsive. They understood that the patient could still understand them. So still talking to the patient. If you're gonna do a procedure, talking them through it. And you can tell if they're, if they're scared because their blood pressure will go up. Right. Their heart rate will go up, even if they can't say ouch or I'm scared. Yeah. So, you know, understanding that they, that even the unresponsive patients can hear you is one huge moment. Another moment that I would say is that empathy does not have to be that difficult. You know, empathy, I, my, my by my definition of empathy, it's making anyone around you feel better. Yeah. So, you know, it can be anything. It could be a smile. It could be a hand on the shoulder. It could be telling a really dumb joke to somebody. It could be, you know, seeing that they've got a poster of whales on their wall and saying, oh, I like whales too. You know, it doesn't have to be a big therapist moment when you come in and make them say the names. But, you know, you see a picture of a sports star on their wall and you talk about the, the team. You know, and there's some way to connect. There's always some way to connect when you walk into a patient's room. It could be there's a friend there. You say hello to the friend. So I think the, the fact that empathy and exhibiting empathy can be super easy and super quick. Yeah. And you can establish that instant connection that makes them not just a patient, but a person. Yeah. And then the, everything's going to go better after that. Right. And that, that's a huge moment for, for everybody. Yeah. To realize that. Um, yeah. The, the one thing I think of too, um, even in terms of my own accident is I feel like sometimes we have a hard time of putting ourselves in someone else's shoes. If yes, something yes. that's beyond our understanding, especially when you're dealing with the brain, um, you know, right. There's no way I'd, I'd be able to understand this without having experienced it. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I, under, I realize that that's the technical definition of empathy, but again, that's, you can't always do that. Yeah. But you can smile at them. You right. can make eye contact. You can listen. You can, you know, use a soothing voice. You can, there are things you can do. Yeah. Don't focus on what you cannot do. Focus on what you can do. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is important too is, um, you know, that whole trust with the provider and the oh, patient yeah. actually following through on recommendations or um, the oh, treatment yeah. that's prescribed because they do it now trust the provider from right exhibiting empathy. Do you think that is... Is there any studies or? I'm um, sure there are. I, I don't have them off the tip of my tongue, but I've seen studies yeah. that do that. But I know from experience that I have not gotten an x-ray after seeing a doctor because I didn't, he didn't, I didn't trust him. Right. You know, he, he didn't even know that I had a brain injury. He was asking me if I hit my head when I, when I fell. My kids started laughing hysterically when he asked that. And he kicked them out of the room. And then left me alone in the room. So I didn't have any, and this was before I could really walk yeah. too much on my own. So I was like hanging out of the walls, walking out of the room. And no, I didn't. I mean, I knew if I could walk, my bone was not broken. So I didn't go get an x-ray. 
Yeah, because I I didn't think he knew what he was talking about. So yeah, that's an example. I mean, I, so I know as a patient that I have not done things that the doctor said because they weren't empathetic. Right. Yeah. And I've done things that I didn't think I really had to because the doctor said to do it. And I was like, well, I'll trust them. Right. So definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, How long was it until you were able to go back to work um, after your... It was a long process. I had my surgery in July of 2006. And... I think January 2008 is when I went back, like officially went back, but I went back by writing a grant that gave me professional development. My whole load that semester was relearning how to be on campus, pretty much. Oh, wow. I, I took an adaptive physical education class on campus. I learned how to navigate the campus. I did some guest lectures in people's classes, which, you know, it didn't always go so well, but this was what I, I couldn't talk as well then. Yeah. So really I took a whole semester just to, just to get back. And that was, you know, that's part of the benefit of, of my job that I could, I had that flexibility. I was able to do that, you know, so that was a great thing. Went into labs, figured out how I could work in a lab. Yeah. You know, and so just, and then the next, semester I went back and taught mostly online but some of my labs were in person so I do online lectures which were mostly asynchronous so I didn't really couldn't really talk for that long right I definitely could not go give a lecture three times a week so I did online classes and then just did labs for lecture labs in person right wow eventually eventually I got back but what I did do is I I had to teach in a different way, but I still taught my animals class. I still taught my marine biology class. So what I say is modify your goals, but stay true to yourself. Yeah. I modified the way that I went back to teaching, but I stayed true to what I wanted to teach. And I was still able to teach about things that I loved and that I had a passion about. Yeah. That's cool. Um, Have you... um since your stroke had um, met with other people who've gone through similar situations like yourself and had more of a, um, I guess, getting connected with other people in terms of helping you deal with um, talking, you know, just kind of having a community of- Oh, uh, but not exactly, but like the adaptive physical education class was a whole community of people who had, you know, some kind of an issue. Yeah. And actually what was what was funny is that one of the guys in that class was my next door neighbor in one of the hospitals I was at. Oh. And he remembered me and I was like, well, I haven't seen you in a couple of years. Wow. He, he had a stroke too. Oh. Because there's much more mind. He was much more further along than I was. But it was interesting that we had that that connection. Yeah. And yeah, I know we both like the Niners. We both like the Warriors. So yeah, yeah, things to talk about. And then now I'm in this CrossFit class, which is led by a woman who has cerebral palsy. Oh, wow. on Zoom. So everybody in this in this online class has different abilities. Yeah. So everybody's different. So she kind of teaches it to your ability. It's really, it's right. really kind of a cool class. Yeah, that's cool. 
It's oh. called staying driven. If anybody wants to to know more about it, yes. What um, what are some other things that you had to go through? Um, like were you able to drive yourself, or you know, some of those things we always eventually, like, yeah. Now I can drive. What I did was I actually, it was about had to be about a year, about two years before I drove, and I took a um. I took some driving lessons with somebody who was a disability driver, like he taught people with disabilities to drive. So I took that and that really just gave me more confidence. The fact that I had been driving for so long helps too, because I didn't I wasn't a new driver when I had this happen to me. So but but driving again was tough. You know, you have to really it, it was interesting. And now, you know, I think I'm a little better now. I don't like to drive at night. I try to avoid driving at night because the lights are just, you know, yeah. out there. But, but it's um, it took me a while, so I had to ask for rides. People had to give me rides, like therapy, and I took Ready Wheels a couple times, which is the service for people in wheelchairs. But that was expensive, so you know, part of it is just having to ask for help. Yeah, and that's one thing that I think everybody who has a sudden big change in their life like this. You know, when you're independent, all of a sudden you have to ask for help with everything. It's tough to do. Yeah. But and, and so again, I would say, ask for help. Ask for specific things. When people offer you help, take it. Yeah. You know, it makes other it make it does make other people feel better to be able to help you. They can't fix you. You know, and they want to be able to fix you, and they can't. But they can take it to the grocery store. Yeah. They can drive you to therapy. You know, there's things they can do. That will make so accepting their help makes them better. Yeah. So definitely just, you know, take it, accept it. Yeah. And if you need to offer it, offer something specific. Don't say, call me if you need anything. Say, I'm going to the store. Do you want to go with me or can I pick something up for you? You know, offer something specific. Yeah. Yes. No, I think that's and great you, advice. And meaning, because if they take, if you take, they take you up on it, you got, you got to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, for me, asking for help was really hard because that is really I, hard. I feel like a control freak over certain things, and, and you know, <laughs> right. then you you have to let people in and and do it, and it's very right. you can you can no longer be a control freak. Yeah, it's it's very hard to let that go, but right, I think in the end it's it's a good thing to um in terms of dealing with that because i i think it it helps in a lot of ways and it helps everybody right of your life. especially like guys in my life they didn't want to hear me you know they didn't want to be my emotional support system they wanted to fix me yeah and again they couldn't fix me but they could fix my sink they could yeah. fix my dishwasher they could fix you know things around my house Whereas women are more, you know, they can also fix things. I don't want to be sexist here, but they're more likely to be available if you just need to talk. Right. So, you know, let them be be there for what they need to be there for. Yeah. Um, when you were going through all of this, did you have, I mean, outside of your your kids, did you have other family or support people who are there all the time my family lives all over the country 
my, I have a sister in San Diego who's the closest, you know, geographically. So she came up a lot while I was in the hospital. But friends really did so much. Yeah. You know, I had a group of friends who took care of my, my house was, you know, abandoned overnight. I had two dogs that oh, were living wow. here that were abandoned overnight. Oh, no. So my friends took care of my house and my dogs. And my kids had to go live. They went to San Diego for a while, then they had to live with their dad, which was, you know, a different podcast episode. But, but they, you know, they were they were okay. Yeah. So, you know, but my friends really did. And before I came home, they cleaned my whole house. They put up extra railings and grab bars. They really got things ready for me to come home. Wow. So they, they were amazing. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, how often are you working, um, with medical <clears throat> professions? Is this something that you're trying to, I'm trying to get more into it. Yeah. So you're not as often as I'd like right now, but you know, so I, I'd like to get, I'd like to have something regular in it, in a hospital where they have regular onboarding programs. Yeah. Cause I really do think onboarding is the place to catch people. Right. You know, before they get too far into the system. And really hospitals want to be the place that expresses empathy. They want to be known for their empathy. So having me as part of their onboarding program, you know, they can say empathy is part of our onboarding program. Right. And I really think that's important. Yeah. Everybody. Right. Um are um have you worked with um you know, the other area I think of too is nursing homes, um, like long-term care type programs. Right, right. I haven't because they're not as big of a program, but I mean, many of the students that I come in touch with may end up working at, you know, they could be working anywhere. Yeah. I'd also really like to talk to physical therapists, you know, occupational therapists. I've had experience with all of them. Yeah. So, and, and physical therapists, wow, they really have to have your trust right. before you'll do what they want you to do. Yeah. You know, they want you to do impossible things and, and impossible and painful things. Yeah. And you're not going to do it if you don't trust them. <laughs> and my, I had some really good ones and some not so good ones. My, actually, my adaptive physical education teacher was probably my, one of my best therapists. And I would do anything he asked me to do. Yeah. And, th- and everything that he asked me to do, my first thought was, no way, that's impossible. But then I would try it anyway. And if I couldn't do it the first time, I would try it again. And usually, you know, he, he, he had a pretty good sense of what I could do and what I couldn't. Yeah. You know what, it was too much to ask me. But I, but I tried everything he asked me to do, and eventually I, you know, did it. Yeah. And then I was amazed with myself that I did it. So... But again, you have to have that trust and right. that relationship. Yeah. Right. Did um when you were going through PT and occupational therapy, um, did it, you know, exacerbate your symptoms a little bit? Because I always felt that way, like my symptoms would get worse to get better. Um, when working on some of those things I needed to work on. I don't think so. I mean, my symptoms were pretty pretty severe. So, you know, like, I don't remember it being exacerbated. I mean, I, when I couldn't walk, they had me, one one physical therapist had me crawling because oh. he said that crawling was, was like his favorite way to get people to move their limbs in the right place. 
Oh. And even and even crawling was so hard for me. Yeah. So, you know, of course you're tired and it's painful after physical therapy, but I know I, I never I never felt like it was gonna make me worse. Maybe because I had good, you know, when you have really good therapists, your mindset is that yes, you might be in pain afterwards, but it's a good pain. It's okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And that's actually where I say, you know, working out all my life prepared me for this because I knew the difference between good pain and bad pain. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that it made it easier, but I know the difference. You know, so I knew that an achy muscle was okay. Yeah. But nerve pain was a different feeling. Right. Yeah, you know, so I knew the difference. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then you wrote a book. Um, was that I wrote a book? The first edition of this book was in 2010. Oh, okay. And I did I did an update in 2020. So the update kind of covered where I was. So the, but it kept everything from the 2010 version. So you do have my voice and my feelings at that time. Yeah. The book is called When Life Throws You Lemons Make Cranberry Juice. And that comes out of, comes out of all of the, you know, cliches people tell you like, what doesn't clean will make you stronger. You got to smile more, be more positive. When life throws you lemons, make lemonade. And those things might be all good. And some you need to hear them. But when people said that to me, I wanted to punch them in the face. Yeah. So you can't, and that's not really, you can't really do that. Right. So when I went to write my book, I did a twist on that. But it came to be a very important mantra because what it means is that when lemons are raining down on you, I'm not saying sweep them under the rug or turn them into lemonade, but except cranberries, and which I see as like the sweet nuggets of life. And if you can accept those into your heart, even while you're going through these horrible lemons, it's going to help you deal with the lemons. It's going to yeah. reframe your mind, reframe, reframe your, I call it internal scenery. Yeah. It's putting you in a better mood or a different mood so you can deal with your lemons. Your lemons are always going to be there. Right. But putting them on the shelf for a few minutes and listening to your favorite song on the radio and then coming back, they're going to be easier to manage. Yeah. No matter what they are. Right. Yeah. So that's that's where the title of the book comes from. But it does go into time. And then the, the newer updates tell the Steve Young story and um, some other stories and also some mantras that I've really used to to get me through those dark times. Yeah. Are you um selling it on Amazon or bookstores? It is on it's on Amazon. It's on both Kindle Unlimited. Kindle, so if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. And there's a paperback version as well. Oh, and also right. if you look up my name on Amazon, you'll also see what I call empathy journal. So there are calendars with like a 2024 calendar. But every month, I also ask you, prompt you to tell me what you've done to positively impact another human with the last month. Yeah. So kind of, and kind of a journal of ways that you're being empathetic. Yeah. As well as the calendar. Yeah. It's almost like gratitude journaling, but. Right. It's like gratitude journaling. Only it's giving out and sort of when yeah. you get back. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I like it, especially this time of year, you know, that's when. Right, 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 this time of year. 
well and just everything that's going on in the world everybody needs that yeah are you um doing all any types of research or um in your bio or marine biology work that that you actually i joined i joined a um the board of a local organization called the Pacific Beach Coalition, and they they've been cleaning up the beaches in my town for twenty five years, so they're well known within the town, but they're also well known along the whole our whole coast, the whole county of our coast. So I've been working more with them on the education part of their of their programs, and um, and I did actually do some brain injury research for a little while on. Are you familiar with the Wii? Uh-uh. The Wii Fit? Oh, yes. It's a, yeah. a video game where you step on this platform and you have to balance yourself. Yeah. And by balancing yourself, it's not around anymore. But I still have mine. I still use mine. Because <laughs> it was a great way to like, it really did help me with busyness. Yeah. And, and help me with balance. So I did a, re- a little small research study with people in the adaptive class who had strokes. And we had them do the Wii <laughs> and then do, do some balance testing. And I couldn't really, can't really say that my research was definitive, but boy, do they have fun doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and these are people who never use video games and, you know, they're screaming at the TV. At the TV. It was really fun. Yeah, that's neat. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, yeah, what was your favorite, I guess, form of, reco- you know, therapy when you were doing all all these different types of exercises. And... I did the Wii every day for years. Haven't done it as much now because I've been doing CrossFit. Yeah. But the Wii was really, I mean, just playing those games and trying to get the ball into a little hole. All you're thinking about is getting the ball into a little hole. You yeah. Think about how you need to be able to balance yourself and move your body in a certain way. And I think that I did notice that I, had fewer falls yeah. when I was doing that regularly. So that did help my balance yeah. a bit. Yeah. Are you still dealing with some balance? Or do you? Oh, yeah. 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 So sometimes fall. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously it's not funny, but it is funny because when I fall, it's like, it's like in a movie when somebody gets blown up by a bomb and they're, they go in slow motion backwards and they're thrown in slow motion backwards. That's what it's like when I fall, I fall like oh, in slow motion. And and I, I never really get hurt. So I usually am laughing by the time I'm getting up. Yeah. Because it's it's funny when you just fall down and you're not drunk. People think you're drunk. Yeah. But you're not drunk. So it just you no, know, it just gets to be kind of funny. Um is there I think a- laugh, laughing at things like that helps people around me be more comfortable. Yeah. I've, I've always laughed at myself <laughs> for things that I do goofy. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there other things that you feel like you still have to really work on that came from your brain injury? Oh, gosh. I'm sure everything that I do. I mean, some things are harder than others. Like if I come up with a up to an area that has a really um, uneven ground, doesn't even be that uneven. It's be grass. Yeah. Tough grass is going to be tough for me to walk on. Mm-hmm. Like I'll say to an able-bodied person, well, is the, is the road uneven? Oh, no, it's okay. 
but it's like I can't walk on it by myself. Right. So it is uneven. <laughs> so things like that, I always have to kind of be looking for and and asking for help when, again, you don't want to be asking for help. But I'd rather hang on to somebody than you know fall and have have some stranger have to pick me up off the ground. Right. Some stranger has to like hold my hand. Yeah. Instead. So it's a little. So things like that are a little bit awkward, but you know, less awkward now that I've been doing it for 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of when I take my daughters on uneven ground, they're little, um, their perception of the uneven ground is so much bigger than, you know, my perception of it. Right, 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 yeah. right. <laughs> right. So and it's, yeah. And also like flying is, is tough. Waiting for, waiting for help at the airport is tough. You know, being seen as, I don't want to use words, being seen as somebody who's more of a problem to be solved yeah. rather than a person that I want to help. And that's how I think a lot of service industries see people with a disability as a problem they need to solve mm. instead of a person they can help. Yeah. That, that's a basic thing. Maybe, you know, impact of empathy, I could definitely, you know, work with that group of, of people too because they need to see people with disabilities differently or anybody who needs extra help yeah but they see you as a problem to resolve and that's the basic basic attitude that needs to change yeah yeah that that's a good way to phrase that um cool um well I don't have any other questions for you, Sherry. Um, okay. But I think um, what you're doing is awesome and we need a lot more empathy. And I do want to say that my website for Impact of Empathy is impactofempathy.net. Yeah. So that's something that might be um, useful. Tough for yeah. And I will put that in the, the notes for the podcast. So okay, great. go great. to that website. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, it seems like almost an overwhelming thing to help change a medical industry. But when you think right, of right. if you can just help one person get treated better. Right. right. It's just one, one person at a time. And these yeah. students are all remembering what I said. They remember everything I said, but they'll remember a couple little nuggets. And you know, if they walk into somebody's room and there's a poster of whales, they're so gonna remember my whale story. Yeah. <laughs> so they're gonna you know, there's some things they're gonna remember. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I do I do like that. Yeah. That I like to have an impact on their empathy. Right. No, that's that's good. And I I love how you took what you know troubled you during your recovery and you know are trying to make that better for other people well thank you yeah that's cool that's it's gonna help a lot of people that you gotta give my life purpose yeah yeah part of that is is making making sense out of what happened to me yeah and making having something good come out of what happened right yeah and having something important come out of what happened yeah yeah and that's you know that's part of why, why I do what I do. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. And remember this episode 
is just meant for educational purposes only. This is not intended to replace professional advice from a doctor, therapist, or other professional. If you need help, make sure to reach out and get the help that you need. Again, I'm always rooting for you. Take it easy and we'll talk to you next time.